Good morning. This is Darrell Gunter, your host for Leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM and streaming on the net at WSOU.net. We're so pleased to have in our in-studio guest, Mr. Jim Johnson, candidate for governor of New Jersey. Jim, welcome to the program. Good morning, Darrell. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. And ladies and gentlemen, also from our WSOU news desk, we have Mr. Tim Bonomo, who is going to uh, join us as well. So, Jim, I had the opportunity of seeing you at an event recently in South Orange with another candidate. Why are you running for governor of the state of New Jersey? Thanks for asking that question. It's a terrific question. Um, I'm a fourth generation uh, New Jerseyan. I've just, um, I can't, you never finish raising the fifth generation, but I've raised my kids here as well. Um, I love this state. And from what I've seen, particularly in the last seven years, um, it's been run very much in the wrong direction. Over my life and over the last three decades in public service and as a private citizen, I've worked for change. I've been able to deliver results, and I have a great passion for the state, and I want to bring those changes back to the state. It's a great place. The people are incredibly talented, and we have so many great assets, but it needs to be well-led, and I plan to provide that leadership. So four years can go by very fast. What are the three key things that you would like to achieve if you are elected governor? I believe that real change requires real democracy. So one of the first things that I... uh, have introduced is an ethics plan that really would put service back into public service. Um, For too long, the insiders have uh, taken care of themselves and ignored many of the concerns of the people. So I've proposed an ethics plan. I've proposed to expand democracy to make it easier for people to participate in their government. Uh, And I've been focused on education. Education is the key to opportunity. It's the key to not only making sure millennials and others are well-educated, but that there's a strong reason for them to stay in the state. It's too often that our students are educated at great schools like Seton Hall, and they decide that the place to go is someplace else and not New Jersey. And that's a praying chain that we can't afford. And so when you think about this ethics plan, I understand where you're coming from, but to make it real for our listeners, exactly what does that plan look like? What the plan looks like is this. Uh, We would end no-bid contracts. The state cannot afford to waste money on contracts that are going to the wrong people for the wrong reasons and and at too high a price. Uh, We would end um, the uh, double-dipping on uh, on pensions. We'd make make it much more transparent as to where the money that taxpayers are, are paying in is actually spent. Uh, we'd make sure, I'd propose to make sure that the people who staff the commissions um, are the people who have the skills and the understanding to actually exercise um, sometimes the great power that commissions um, exercise in the state. Um, that would be a start. On the democracy side, I would make it easier for people to vote, not just on election day, but over the course of the weekend. Make it easier for people to register. We should eliminate the barriers that are, that between people and the vote. We've done a lot across our country's history to expand it. New Jersey still has a ways to go. And finally, I would make it easier for people to run for office. Too often, the greatest barrier to um, entry is the amount of money that you have and the connections that you have, rather than the positions that you take and the jobs that you've done. I would work to change that. Very good. Uh, recently, but, we, but before we, we get into that, I should have asked you to tell the audience a little bit about your fantastic background. 
It's a good thing they can't see me because you would have seen me sort of back away from the microphone for a second. Um, I grew up here. I actually used to visit South Orange and, and, and Orange a lot because my aunt and uncle lived maybe um, a 15-minute walk from Seton Hall's campus. Uh, my cousin, one of my cousins, attended Seton Hall. Uh, so I'm feeling right at home in this place. I was born and raised in Montclair. Uh, I went away for school, to, for college and law school to Harvard, uh, and then have been largely in the um, in the New Jersey area. I spent some time in Washington in the Clinton administration, where I served as the Undersecretary of the Treasury for Enforcement. That meant that the ATF, the Secret Service, and the Customs Service all reported to me, and it meant that I was responsible for um, the security of the President of the United States and the First Family, the safety of our borders, and because of the ATF's involvement in um, gun safety and, and violent uh, criminal investigations, safety in our streets and in our schools. Um, since that time, I've worked uh, within the state on issues like uh, racial profiling and helping the, the state troopers uh, deal with the issue of uh, racial pro profiling and get out from under a consent decree that um, had been imposed in the late 90s. Uh, and most recently, I've worked to bring police and communities together, working with the New Jersey Institute for Social Justice, another group called, which is part of Social Justice, New Jersey Communities Forward. And what we did was create conversations for police and community to exchange views. We brought in senior law enforcement officials from the state, the very top on the federal and state side. That's the state attorney general and the U.S. attorney. And we were the first state to ad end up adopting a statewide policy on body camps. Um, we were one of the first to put in place a statewide policy on implicit bias training. Um, and I was part of that and sometimes helped drive that process, although there were many people that were part of the overall process to, for getting us to where we are now. There's a lot more work to do, but I think I've made a strong contribution to it. That is fantastic. Thank you for sharing that with us. Tim, did you want to ask a question of the candidate Jim Johnson? Yeah, Jim, I know uh, here at Seton Hall as well on campus, a lot of millennials, a lot of younger voters, some voters that would be voting for the first time. What, do you, what can you say to them uh, for voting for you as opposed to somebody else going for governor? When you're exercising your vote, particularly for the first time, it is you should remember that it's a very, very important responsibility. Uh, it's a responsibility not only for the candidate, but for the person who is um, actually exercising that, that right. Um, what I would want everyone voting to do is to think about what they want to see in New Jersey in five years and in 10 years. Think about the sorts of characteristics that you would want to have in that person. For me, it's important to have experience. And I've exercised um, executive authority um, in the government. Over 29,000 people reported to me directly or indirectly. I've had to review budgets um, that in one year were up to $4.6 billion. Um, I care deeply about the people of the state. I have a very strong um, background in service. Uh, and um, there are certain things that I want. I want the government to be more responsive to its people. I want actually government engagement um, to be uh, at a very high level so that people and students and young people and first-time voters actually feel like the government belongs to them. In response to Governor Christie's State of the State Address, where he threw out the idea of using the state lottery funds 
to deal with the, the, the pension issue. Um, it's understandable for any candidate to not have a complete answer as to how you're going to solve the pension problem, but what do you think are some of the key principles that you would consider to address the, the, the pension issue here in the state of New Jersey? Well, principle one is no gimmicks. Uh, for um, many years, even before Governor Christie, what the state has done and what the governors have done is, is instead of dealing with the pension problem up front, they have essentially kicked the problem down the line, down the line, down the line. Uh, the proposal to use lottery funds to deal with the pension uh, simply, um, in some respects, robs Peter to pay Paul, uh, rather than dealing with the overall budget issues. So first step Let's deal candidly with it, candidly with the problem, and not kick it down the line. Secondly, we need to look very carefully at the uh, funds that are coming or could come into the state. My team has done calculations, and by that I mean federal funds. My team has uh, sat back, um, rolled up their sleeves, sharpened their pencils, and done calculations on the amount of money that the state has foregone that should have come from Washington, but didn't because of errors by this administration. That sum is about $1.3 billion. That's a lot of money over seven years. Uh, that's a lot of money. Uh, so that's another thing. We look for ways to bring in more, more funds to the state. Um, uh, I didn't smoke or inhale marijuana, but I am in favor of legalizing marijuana. Uh, many states have seen that their state revenues have increased as a result of, of the taxes that are paid on marijuana sales. Um, but it's, for me, that's not just a revenue issue, and um, we can talk a little bit about this uh, further if you like, but it's also an issue of justice. It's an issue of uh, dealing with uh, the problems of overuse of incarceration, uh, and uh, I believe that we need to take a really sharp look at many of our criminal laws to make sure that we are actually focusing on the right sort of thing. Arresting people for marijuana use, does, to me, is not a good use of our law enforcement uh, resources. Let's expand upon that. Uh, let's do talk about that over-incarceration. Uh, where do you see the significant issues in here in the state of New Jersey? In New Jersey, there has been progress in reducing the number of, of, of people in jail. There are large disparities, though, between the incarceration rates of, of African Americans and Hispanics uh, and the overall population. And we need to take a hard look at what the reasons for that. On a national level as well as a local level, I was one of the um, founding members of a group called Law Enforcement Leaders to Reduce Crime and Incarceration. This is a group of more than 150 uh, senior law enforcement leaders, including the chiefs in Los Angeles, the former chief in Dallas, the chief in Houston, former chiefs in Philadelphia and Washington, all focused on how do we make our communities safe and yet reduce the number of people that are going to prison. We developed four principles that are essential, and we have been working to make sure that communities understand and states understand what those four principles are. And they are early intervention or, and, and developing alternatives to incarceration so that if a, a young person is um, on, the, on the edge of trouble, that we intervene at an earlier point in time and try to provide some options for that. And we do it in a systematic way. If a person, a, a young person is arrested, we would want to make sure that if, if there's an alternative to incarceration and an alternative to putting, through the, putting them through the system, that would be available to them uh, rather than simply arrest, jail, and for the rest of their life they have this mark on them. 
That's one of our core pillars. The other three include reducing the use of mandatory minimums, uh, making sure, and that's number two. Number three would be making sure that the crimes that we charge fit the times. An example is in, in other states, in 1968 or 67, it was a felony to um, steal something worth $1,000. Now, um, if you steal something worth $1,000, clearly you shouldn't be doing it, but you're talking about maybe an iPhone and a pair of sneakers. Um, that shouldn't result in a felony conviction uh, and that mark on someone for the rest of their lives. That's number three. Number four is community policing. Community policing um, means to me much more than simply having an, a friendly officer uh, going into a school or attending an event, although that's important. That means deep community engagement between the officers and community members, really from the time they enter on the force until the time, time they retire. Uh, that's a very different mindset that law enforcement should adopt because I have said now for probably two decades that one of our goals should be that law enforcement should be part of the communities they serve, not apart from them. Well, uh, since I'm from Atlantic City, that's one of the big issues in Atlantic City. The police officers are not required to live in Atlantic City, and they're offshore, so uh, there's no development or rapport relationship after hours for the police officers in Atlantic City. So. When I was growing up in Montclair, one of the things that was um, uh, really important to me and I didn't realize how over time it was so important to me, was um, the police officer within the neighborhood, the police officer who was walking the beat. And um, he knew me, he knew my sister, um, he knew my brother, and uh, because we had a walking community with um, small stores, it, he was part of the glue that held all of us together. Uh, many communities are different in terms of their structures, but law enforcement officers and teachers can be part of that community glue. And communities that are well connected to each other are, are communities that are uh, typically safer, they're typically healthier, uh, and they're typically much more content and even happy than communities in which people feel like they are completely on their own. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here with Mr. Jim Johnson, a candidate for New Jersey governor. And I'm going to have my colleague, uh, Mr. Tim Bonanno, to ask the next question. And again, Jim, with Governor Christie, what would you think is the biggest three things, for example, that you would want to change that he did that you think you could do significantly different or better? I would get the tunnel built between New York and New Jersey. Uh, that is vital. As we try to move our economy forward, um, making sure that we have high-quality mass transit is important. There are many companies that don't want to move to New Jersey or feel it's difficult to expand in New Jersey because they are concerned about uh, mass transit. There are many people who want to live in New Jersey, even though they work in New York, because they are concerned about how to get to work. The Building the tunnel is a vital piece of our economic future. Um, particularly since we know that the tunnels currently in use are going to have to undergo serious repair, probably repair shutting them down in the next four to five years. So that's one step one. Step two, at least or thing two, is uh, again restoring, providing a basis to restore trust in government. I think from top to bottom of the state, people don't trust um, their leadership. They have a good reason for it. Um, vital issues affecting communities like foreclosure have been ignored, uh, and people on the inside have been taken care of um, by taking care of 
each other rather taking than taking care of the rest of, of us. So that's that's another vital issue. And education um, to me is essential for expanding opportunity. So I would look to, and it's going to be I know difficult over time, but governors are supposed to set a standard and a goal. Uh, I would want to provide pre-K quality pre-K for all children. I would want to make sure as part of this education plan that after-school programs are restored. Uh, and I would want to make sure that college becomes affordable again. It is a terrible shame that so many of our students leave our schools burdened with debt, uh, and because their economy hasn't pre performed, they not only are burdened with debt, but then their opportunities to use their newly acquired skills in growing industries um, has been abandoned, um, which gets to a fourth thing, which is focusing on economic development. Uh, if you look over time where the state has put its investment in, in subsidies for corporations, they have been in large corporations, um, and the number of jobs that have been generated as a result of that has been very, very low. And this isn't just my thinking. It, it's comparing to pairing what New Jersey spends to invest in, in new jobs and what's, what we get out of it with um, other states around us that seem to be able to deliver much more for much less. And we need to turn that around and make this, those sorts of investments in not in mature industries, but emerging ones, not in the largest uh, corporations, but um, mid-sized corporations. They're doing much of the hiring. They provide much of the opportunity. And it's as they grow and expand, there's going to be the opportunities for people to have more jobs. Growing jobs in New Jersey is very key. And small business, they say, is the economic engine of the United States. What are your thoughts about providing incentives to people, to folks to start new businesses? I think that starting new businesses is, is complicated, and it's not just incentives. As I've campaigned, I've, ended, I've spent some time talking to small business owners. And one of the things that I found is that in many instances, the difference between success or failure in the first four to six months of a business isn't the economic environment. It is also often um, the weaknesses in planning, the weaknesses in forecasting, and the business skills that the new business owners have. One of the things that the state could do, and I think this could be done at fairly low cost, is provide the information that potential business owners would need um, to make sure that the investments that they want to make are right ones, that they fully anticipated um, those uh, costs like permits that they could anticipate. Um, I understand, because I've had family in small business, that you can't anticipate everything. You can't anticipate everything in life. You can't anticipate everything in a basketball game, um, as we've seen these last few days. Uh, but you can take care of Don't remind us of that flavoring call that we got last week. It's in the Seton Hall versus Arkansas yeah. game. But anyway. I, I will not remind you of that. <laughs> I promise. Uh, but you, there are things that you can, um, can predict and plan for. And plan beats no plan every day. So if we can enable businesses to plan uh, and have the knowledge, particularly of new business owners who have desire, they have an idea, but they may not have the business background, we can put the smaller businesses on a much um, surer footing. And so at Rutgers, they have the Entrepreneur Pioneers Initiative Program, which works with uh, businesses that have been in business for, for two years. Uh, is that something that you could see to expand 
across the state of New Jersey. So it's not just at Rutgers, Newark, but across the state of New Jersey. One of the things that I've been doing and would continue to do is look for best practices everywhere, including at Rutgers. Uh, But other states also have terrific programs. And what we should do in New Jersey is not necessarily look to reinvent the wheel, but see what works and see how we can expand it. Um, see what see what has worked very well in Massachusetts. Um, Ohio has a jobs program. Um, uh, see how that has worked, and and bring that back to the state and try to implement that. Always keeping in mind that um, we have limited budgets, and so we're going to have to figure out how to make the best choices within with and spending the money that we do have. And Jim, from Seton Hall perspective and education perspective, would you recommend that? Uh, required in a curriculum you would have something like a fundamentals of business for any kind of major would would you think that that could be implemented in the future just because it's so broad business in general like you said it's unpredictable but it is the foundation of what really you know turns new jersey and gets revenue and gets money you know going through the the state do you think something like that down the line could be implemented I would not be necessarily inclined, particularly on a Saturday morning in the studio, <laughs> to come up with a do, to do a curriculum review. <laughs> but um, I do think that there are some essentials that students should leave high school and college with, um, or vocational school. Um, there should be a fundamental understanding of first, really, civic life. Uh, I think that there's a lot more that we can do to understand how the role that government plays in our lives and can play in our lives. Um, so step one is to is if I were to make a, a, ch- a change in curriculum, it would be to enhance the ability of all of us to participate um, as citizens. Uh, secondly, I think that it's very important for us to be uh, not necessarily future um, entrepreneurs, but financially literate. We are in a world in which, in New Jersey, in which the rate of foreclosure is very high. Uh, it's the highest in the nation, and in, the, in, in which our uh, students have some of the highest debt loads in the nation. Uh, and uh, I think it's very important when people are thinking about whether or not to purchase a home and, and how to deal with banks. And how to um, and and whether or not to take on certain loans that they fully understand what's being um, uh, proposed to them, so that um, uh, they aren't entering into arrangements that ultimately can hurt them very very much. So it's not necessarily a business background, but financial literacy is very important. You know, on the flip side, I think that with respect to foreclosures, there's more the government um, can and should do to protect. Uh, homeowners. It, there's no good reason our markets are not so different between our neighboring states that the foreclosure rate should be much higher in New Jersey than it is in Pennsylvania or New York. Um, and the government and the governor needs to focus on that. Looking at the, the, the recent gasoline tax, um, what is your view on the gasoline tax in the future if you were to become governor? Would you let it stay status quo or would you look to modify it and, and bring it uh, in line with what it should be, because currently, my understanding is that the gasoline tax, all of it, doesn't go towards the roads. Some of it can go where else, other places, but also that it's it's not a cap. It it can be increased by the legislature. So the gasoline tax in that process raises a, raises two sets of concerns for me. Uh, process, um, because the gasoline tax has a very a significant regressive component. 
That is that the the folks that um, are um, uh, for whom the the tax actually ma- makes a difference, a significant difference in their income, uh, rather in, the, in their annual expenses year to year. Um, there should have been some discussion in that process of what the impact was. Um, I've seen estimates that the, that the tax may be $137, $147, $157 per year for a family of four, where if that family of four only saves $500 a year, that is a huge tax. So the process should have taken that into account. Going forward, I'm deeply concerned that a tax is based on essentially consumption of gasoline. Uh, why am I concerned? Let's do the math. As, de- gas- as cars become much more efficient, um, and we uh, turn, we hope, to electronic cars, uh, then either we're going to have to look for different sources of, in- of revenue, or the tax will have to be ratcheted up again. And who will that affect? The people that can't afford the electronic cars, uh, the people for whom the tax is already a, a high imposition. So I would look for other ways to fund it. I would look to other states and how they have funded their needs. Because infrastructure needs in this state are tremendous, uh, and um, the, um, the, the money that we're getting may not be enough. Right now, throw out one statistic, one in 11 bridges um, is in serious need of repair in the state. Uh, and so that's just repairs. But we ought to be making in infrastructure investments that prepare the state and prepare its citizens for the economy of 2040, the economy of 2050, the economy of really 2000. 100, because these investments will remain, uh, and their impact on communities, their impact on um, on opportunity, uh, are going to be significant. And so, as we look towards the upcoming months, what is the the key themes you want the audience to come away with, Mr. Johnson, in regards to why they should consider you to be governor of the state of New Jersey? I would want I would want people to look at experience. Uh, who has delivered um, in the state government, the f- and in the state and on the federal level for people? Um, I started my career in the public as a as a federal prosecutor, and I took on tough fights there, including um, uh, prosecution successfully of organized crime. I moved into the federal government, uh, and as an assistant secretary, um, I helped. Uh, lead a task force that looked into arsons at African-American churches and synagogues and mosques around the country and doubled the solve rate when people said that arsons are very difficult to investigate and, well, um, you may not be able to solve many of these. We doubled the solve rate. Um, It's that sort of approach to thinking about new solutions and delivery, um, particularly for people that are among the most vulnerable, that this state needs. As you move forward time and again, when confronted with a difficult and challenging problem of public policy or public um, community engagement, I've been able to develop solutions that bring people together so that when we reach com- we can reach common ground and from common ground move to higher ground. So that sort of experience is, imp- is very important. The other piece of the experience is important is the life that I've lived. Um, I've lived in this state... Um, uh, for much of my life. I went away for college. I, I, I lived in other states for a while. Uh, I've raised uh, my daughters here, and um, I have a feel for the issues of the state that goes deep. Um, I have a feel that 
um, goes broadly because in my generation and my family, um, I had um, a more than four dozen cousins. Um, we've had a range of experiences. And so when I look at issues, I'm not just thinking about um, is this a, a statistical issue? I have specific family members that come to mind uh, and specific experiences that, um, that I've had, and I just approach it with a greater sense of seriousness because it is actually very much personal. And, but the last thing is, um, and it's really the first, the first thing, vision of the state. When people look at New Jersey now, they see nothing but problems. Uh, I see tremendous amounts of possibilities. And I know that they're there because I know the state that I grew up in. I know the possibilities that we've seen um, and the things that we've been able to achieve. Um, and I know that one of the main impediments is that we have not been well-led over the last seven years. And I would change that. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here with Mr. Jim Johnson, candidate for New Jersey governor. Mr. Johnson, I want to thank you for coming in for this interview. I'm I want to really happy to be here. Happy to be here. And I hope you have a great rest of the day. Ladies and gentlemen, that wraps it up for this weekend on Leadership with Darrell Gunter, our, our candidate for governor, Mr. Jim Johnson. Have a great weekend, and remember, leadership begins with you. This is Darrell Gunter, WSOU 89.5 FM.